recorded live. I'm Mara Chawasik. And I'm Wayne Gladstone. And this is Sticks and Stones. The show where words can never hurt you. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. As you all know, I am Mara. I am at Behind Your Back on Twitter. And I'm here with my co-host, Wayne Gladstone, who is at W Gladstone on Twitter. And thank you so much for joining us for our inaugural Sticks and Stones podcast. We've put together an hour-long interview show, and we're going to be speaking to working artists about creativity. We've lined up quite a few fascinating guests, including the one we have for you tonight. But before we get to that, we'd like to start this podcast off with, uh, with a little bit more getting to know you. And so we've put together a mission statement about what you can expect from our show. Okay. So, uh, first of all, you know, the world doesn't need another podcast, but uh, you have Mark Chwastik and Wayne Gladstone, and that just makes sticks and stones. So you just have to. It's faded. Um, so here's our mission statement. We hope each show contains something worth learning and something worth laughing about and something not worth laughing about that you laugh at anyway. We will never tell you certain words can't be said on our show, but we might call you an asshole for using them. We reserve the right to be wrong and don't trust anyone who claims they have never been wrong. Podcasts have the capacity for inoffensive mediocrity. We promise to always strive for spectacular failure. All right. And there you have it. You know, we had that practiced, and we did it completely out of order. But you folks at home probably couldn't tell. Okay, so today, as our guest, we have my good friend, Nick Leslie. Nick is currently the content director and comedy editor at Time Out New York. Before that, he was an editor for Maxim, where he would do many uh, jackass type-like endeavors, like getting set on fire or swimming with sharks. He's also uh, helped develop a show for the BBC and managed to uh, put out his own magazine as a wee lad that was so exciting, it brought him all the way across the pond to America. So, Nick, thanks for coming. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, Go ahead. You going to say something more? I want to try not to step... We have to learn how to not step on each other on cell phones, so... (laughs) I'm shutting up. I I just just admit that I was here and then step back. (laughs) No, actually, Nick, you are the one who needs to be talking the entire time. I don't know if you knew this. Did you prepare some anecdotes or anything like that? that I did. I prepared a 57-minute script. Does that work? Excellent. That's perfect. That's perfect. That's what we expect. Wonderful. All right. Let's let's start interviewing Mr., uh, Mr. Leffley here. Um, as Mar said earlier, we wanted to not, you know, we're going to interview all kinds of artists, but people who found a way to actually make money off it. Um, and we're using art in the broadest sense. Uh, it yeah. Doesn't have, it doesn't have to be a painting, you know. So let's, uh, you know, I think with you, we know you've always been into comedy and writing. Uh, what first drew you to that? Um... I mean, it just seemed like a fun way to pretend to make a living. <laughs> but I've always, I mean, I've, I've always liked anything funny. I think um, a sort of formative comedy experience is when I was about 11 years old. I know it's an incredibly uncool comic to say, but I was 11 years old and I saw Dennis Leary's No Cure for Cancer. And I'd never really seen anything like that at that point in my life. And I just remember being completely completely blown away by it like laughing so hard that I remember like having to turn it off because I just knocked downstairs to watch it at midnight because I don't think that's uncool at that point sorry Wayne go ahead (laughs) (laughs) well I know I know he was a big influence probably in that swoop that you do with your hair that's like I noticed that probably rubbed off oh absolutely but it's weird to me that you you are in England uh, getting turned on to comedy from Dennis Leary, who doesn't even turn Americans on to comedy. <laughs> it's true. And what I learned from that is that, you know, find someone who's really good and then just rip them off incessantly until you get successful. Um, and so that you're a little boy in England looking at Dennis Leary. I'm a little boy on the island looking at Monty Python. 
that's uh, <laughs> I guess that's just something of a comedy in the attraction of you know the other. Also, the other thing I think yeah. about this is I like Monty Python, you like Dennis Leary, so that really speaks volumes. I think right there. So, so <laughs> when did you start? You started writing your own magazine, right? In in England, like as a kid, that you self published. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a kid. I'd, I'd already I'd left college at that point. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were a teenager when you. Were... All right. So no, you, went, you went. You went to college. You had you you had purportedly an education in the career path, and in your early twenties, you said, "I'm going to put out my own self-published magazine." Yeah, I mean, I I started. Um, you know, I started this very ambitious thing for the same reason that anyone in history has ever done anything, which uh, was was to impress a girl, and. Um, uh, one girl in particular, or girls in general? One girl in particular who who had this thing about like the, there was like a like a fanzine, as we call them, like, um, like a self published magazine in the town she came from, and she kept talking about. It. And I was like, well, I'll do a fanzine. <laughs> and um, and it ended you up wanted being, to impress her by showing her up. That was that was your like that was the big plan. Yeah. Is that working? <laughs> does, does, does that Nick, does that not work? Your current wife is it? It's not. <laughs> no. no, that plan didn't work out too well. Um, you really should have but, done it. You but, really want to impress her. You should have corrected the grammar in her fanzine. That probably. Yeah, exactly. Really but uh, but that but one it works was, like, every as, time. As soon as as soon as like I thought I'm going to start doing this, like I completely lost interest in 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 that and just wanted to do the fanzine because it was really fun and it was like it was like a sort of like a twelve page photocopied hand stapled comedy and music fanzine like it reviewed local bands and it had like i guess kind of onion style news stories but very locally specific to the town we were in and um and were you the only writer pretty much um i a couple of friends would contribute um uh one friend in particular uh my friend sean i wrote some very funny stuff for it um but I, i put it out every month um uh, I, I, I hand delivered around all like the clubs and, and music venues and rehearsal studios around the, the surrounding towns. Um, somehow convinced club owners to pay to advertise in it, which paid for <laughs> which paid for the cost that's, of the staples. And the amazing. The so, so, um, so what year is this? What year are we talking? This is 2003. I mean, even then the idea. That's, was so like, isn't that amazing? <laughs> so, so I know you were in England, but not exactly yeah. like a third world country. In 2003, the internet existed. <laughs> you decided to do this on paper. Why, yeah. why did you make that call? I mean, it sounds kind of cool and hipster now, but I think I was really just completely clueless. But this story has an amazing ending, right? Because it was poorly motivated, yeah. because it was a terrible attempt at getting laid, which did not pay off. You ignored yes. all modern technology and convenience and decided to hand staple photocopy and spend time with people who manage bars. But didn't the copy of this make its way to a kind of important, influential person in your life? Yeah, well, again, it was. Uh, this, is, this is not a path I'd ever recommend anyone following. Um, I, I, I was having a drink with a friend who just got herself a really good job at The Guardian, um, the English newspaper. And. <laughs> um, and I, I went home drunk and, and bitter because I, I, at the time I was working in a factory counting radiators. Um, counting radiators? <laughs> <laughs> how many were there? That is the most British <laughs> job I've ever heard. That makes the job yeah. from Joe versus Volcano seem real. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, it was like it was the middle of August and like all the windows in the factory had been painted over with grey paint. Like it was the most depressing place I've ever been. <laughs> but um, but I was like I was like doing that and bar jobs and things. But anyway, so I went home. I was like, my God, my friend has this job in the newspaper. Like, what am I doing with my life? And um, and so I just mailed a bunch of copies of my fanzine to a, a bunch of different magazines. Um, that I'd researched really badly. Didn't include a resume with the fanzine. Just had a letter that said. Like if you like this, here's my number. If you don't like this, you can wipe your ass on it. And um, that, you know what's I weird? I don't even know that. if you're being sarcastic. I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> you're so misguided. This this English backwards twat working in a factory with no windows. And you may have actually said that. No, it's exactly what I did. I mean, well, it, it was it was sli- it was written a little more softly. It said, um, if you don't like it, it's very absorbent and handy in an emergency. 
Um, <laughs> but, um, and then I thought nothing, you know, I mailed them and then forgot about it and thought nothing more about it. And then um, uh, I, I then just started the, the radiator factory job and was thinking, well, I'm, I'm 24 and I'm working counting radiators and I don't think it can go worse than this. And then um, I got a phone call out of the blue from an editor at Maxim magazine in London who said that they'd received <laughs> this bundle of crap that I'd sent them. <laughs> and they were really excited by it. And they, they had a new editor just died, um, who's Greg Gutfeld, who is now known, of course, for being a presenter on Fox News, but at the time was a magazine editor. And uh, right. he was in the process of turning Maxim into this like weird, angry fanzine of a magazine rather than a traditional men's mag. And they found my fanzine and and hired me to, to go and be a staff writer for them. So, I mean, Greg Gutfeld, who then went on to do Red Eye, and yeah. who I guess now is thought of as being kind of like this, you know, neocon. But at the time we're talking about was just thought of as kind of like a magazine badass. Um, yeah, saw, he was sort of his very self-published like published twelve-page hand-stapled magazine from some English nobody at the time, and said, "This guy needs to be writing for a comer of a magazine uh, in America." I mean, that is an amazing, amazing. Well, it was, work. it was, it was a magazine. It was a, it was a British Maxim. They didn't pull me over to the states. I worked in London oh. for a few years at Maxim. But he, right. he had literally. We're Maxim UK. He had, yeah, now, let he me ask you, just, Maxim UK to Maxim US. Did you have to like learn the difference between uh, UK and USA breasts or bikini cuts? Was that was that something? I you just had figured to... the girls have to not smile in the UK version. So that's the big difference. Yeah, the the body you know, the body type was actually very different between the two countries. Uh, Weirdly, now, now you mentioned that, it's something I noticed. Like in, in the American Maxim, like all the bodies were very like athletic and toned, and like like the girls had like six packs. And in England, it was much more just like it's boobs, people. It's boobs. Well, that's yeah, that is interesting. Well, then you call that page six girls in England too, right? Especially at that page, time. Page three girls. Yeah, yeah, and it's page funny, three. like. like Lab mags were never in his Oh my like god, that. now that I was, feel so was... embarrassed that I was masturbating to page six. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the obituary. Oh no. <laughs> I was so confused. Also I was oh, okay. Wait, three girl. I'm I'm a dumb American. What's a page three girl? Oh god, it's something that you should never ever have to know about. Um the tabloids in England, like the Sun, um, which are kind of like the New York Post, um, it's, they've been for a long time, like decades now, on page three of every issue is um, a young topless woman <laughs> with a little caption saying like, Joe, 19 from Manchester, thinks that the Prime Minister's <laughs> new policy on school lunches is stupid or something. No, wait, they it's actually try to tie it yes. to something like yes. political or really, well, that's amazing. Sometimes. If there's Those, some sort of pun to be made that's breast related to a topical <laughs> news story, I mean, they try and tie it down a little bit. I mean, you know, they they sort of steer clear. If there's some like mass extinction event, they they try not, you know, a genocide somewhere. They they tend to steer clear of that. Wait, you well, left let me, let me the UK to come to the US when you could have spent your entire career trying to be the guy who makes breast puns. I would think that that would be pretty much the highest. <laughs> possible job in the UK. I, I want it, certainly. <laughs> but let me ask you a question. The, these, uh, at the time, like, it would not have been difficult, right, for like a 13-year-old boy in the UK to buy a copy of those papers, right? No, anyone can buy it. They're not right, a right. shelf. So it's that's, like that's buying the, the New York Post. Like, no one understands this today with the internet, because if you want things far more, uh, you know, pure and mm-hmm. just topless, you can just go online. But when I was yeah. a little kid, like, when I was 13, like, you thought in America, how can I see breasts? You would pay like twenty bucks to your to your friend whose older brother would like sell him the penthouse he stole from his father so you could see breasts in junior high school. And in England, apparently you could just go to the newsstand for fifty cents. Which is weird and because look, we think of 
English is classy and Americans is uh, not. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe you just have ready access to breasts at an early age. It uh, matures you faster. Yes, Nick seems much more mature. Definitely. Yeah. Speaking of being more mature. I don't necessarily think that exposure to some 19-year-old who's been convinced that this is a good career move as a natural part of your, like, reading the paper over breakfast routine. I don't think that necessarily makes you a mature human being. Let me ask you, we're keeping a tight ship here, and we've got two games to get to, which are fun. But, uh, so I want to move out of the, uh, the uh, teen, uh, the Young 20s magazine, the Maxim UK. I want to go to Maxim, you in America, and uh, let's go to the story that um, you decided to tell my literary agent when you were three sheets to the wind the first time she met me, where you got liposuction on a dare for a maxim. Now, for you folks that, at home, I don't know if you saw our Facebook page, Nick is not a, uh, a fat guy. Uh, I don't think oh, at you. any time he was uh, particularly large, but he'll do anything for uh, a story, apparently. So he got liposuction. So can you can you share that with us? Sure. I mean that that was also actually Max in UK. Um, okay. The, well, can you just leave that part of the story out because I already said it wasn't. Sure. So okay. I was in New York. North America. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I sort of. I, I this was sort of the culmination of like a lot of years of doing this. It was like swimming with sharks and hanging under helicopters while they were flying and and like various stupid stories of that I would do every month. I'd go out and try something ridiculous and then write about it. And um, and I, I I was offered liposuction by this place. And I thought, well, yeah, that sounds funny, without really thinking too much about what it would entail. And um, it, 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 it wasn't funny. <laughs> what did they lipo? Wait, wait, but you got, you got liposuction like on your, at your midsection, right? And yeah, like if I all around the middle. But before you got this liposuction, I think you remember. I remember you telling me that like the doctor went over like every single side effect. We yeah, had. so he goes through everything. That you would have to wear. You'd have to wear a yeah, girdle, right? Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Because the thing is that like these, these are like foot-long metal poles that they insert into the skin of your body and kind of like ram them all the way up and like oh. basically all the way around your skin is no longer actually stuck to your body. So oh. after the operation, you have you have to wear a skin-tight girdle like a corset for like a full week and you can't shower, you can't do and you can't take it off because otherwise the skin doesn't stick back to your body. And like, and you right, can't they separate, they separate meanwhile, the skin from is, your ass. There's a mixture of, yeah. And there is, meanwhile, there is a mixture of blood and liquid fat that is seeping continuously from these five holes in your body, soaking through the girdle what? that you can't take off and wash. You basically smell like someone. This is the most horrifying thing I've ever heard. Right. Oh my God. right. So let's fast. The pictures are pretty great. He tells you all the side effects. <laughs> Tells you everything. You get the liposuction. You really want to get anyway, the bad part. <laughs> How much are they paying you for this? Oh my god! Like, was, was this was this lucrative? Were you going like, okay, yeah, I'll do this, and then I won't have to no, do anything was, for was, a couple of months? Just, was, or this was just like, no, oh yeah, no. I was, it was it was a staff job, so I was just getting paid like a daily salary. Well, oh I think actually god. Nick did it to impress that same girl with the fancy. Nothing works. Fast forward. You got the surgery, you're wearing the girdle for a week, and then if I remember oh. correctly, you're like you're up in your attic or something, moving See, you memorize you've you've been thinking about this far too much. Well, yes. Listen, I had a, a very story. Go ahead. I had a very unpleasant moment. Like I was we I had I had to move apartments a few days after the operation, which was not good timing, but I was packing boxes up in the attic. And, you know, try and control yourselves. I was wearing nothing but, like, a robe and my girdle. <laughs> <laughs> hot. And, Very and, hot. And, I mean, seriously, it was... Uh, and, um, yeah, my robe fell open, and I looked down, and I started screaming because basically everything below the waist uh, had, like, swollen to sort of four or five times the normal size and was various shades of black and purple. <laughs> Oh, my um, God. For your kids at home, Nick is most, talking about his genitalia. <laughs> the, black and purple. The single most terrifying thing, it looked like a, this, this giant bowl of misshapen rotten fruit. It was 
which is how it normally looks, but you know, worse. Um, absolutely <laughs> terrifying. And and I and you know, I'm like calling the the surgeon frantically, in, you know, and he's like, ah. Oh. And the surgeon, by the way, it was one of a pair of identical twins that ran the plastic surgery. Uh, what business? Which the is the weirdest rabbit thing. hole did you enter for this? This is insane. It was the property there was, there, was a, there was a full-size Renaissance-style oil painting hanging in his office of him and his identical twin brother sort of pointing <laughs> religiously at, at a naked woman. Like, oh, you <laughs> made me. Wait, no, wait. But the, the I, kicker I, of the story Why is, did you go through with this? Oh, wait, I mean, wait, there, wait. there are so many red flags. But... Glassman is desperate. So, uh, so I call the doctor up and I'm just, it's like, oh, Nick, how are you? I'm like, good, 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 I'm good. I'm not good. I'm not applying. I'm very, I'm bad. I'm very, very bad. Um, and and he's like, oh, what's wrong? I'm like, well, it's it's sort of, I don't know how to tell you this. It's sort of embarrassing. And he goes, uh, your testicles have turned blue and swollen. And I'm like, shit. Yes, you say that like it's normal. It's like, oh, yes, it's completely normal. It happens to everyone. I'm just like, uh-huh. I'm just thinking that two-hour lecture you gave me of every possible side effect, do you not think that you should tell patients about this part? There's a long pause, and he's like, you know, I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. yeah probably what, what side effects did he tell you about? If he left out the whole, your penis turned black and blue and ingrained. I don't even. I don't even remember what it, it was. A long list. Um, I had just inserted a rather large suppository into myself before he gave me the list of side effects. So um, that's I'm distracted, honestly. Um, but uh, but that's then he true. said this thing. That, that's true. Wait, but why do you need to thing. void your bowels before you get liposuction? No, a suppository, not a not an enema. It's it's like a like a little wax tampon of painkillers that you shove up your bum. Oh, a suppository painkiller. Well, there are suppositories that are work as enemas as well. But okay, ah. gotcha. I'm, All right, I'm so here we go. Say that. But, but what he said, was, was he said that not only does that happen to everybody, he, he said it happens to women as well. And I tried to oh. picture that, and then I started screaming again. Women's penises get swollen and yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Things are so different in the UK. We, we think we're the same Correct answer? No, there's not one, but that sucks. So, so unless you have <laughs> you have 15 seconds to come up with a 
completely blanking. I'm going to lose the first one, aren't I? Five seconds. I No, I'm just fixated on a room with a view of your bum hole. <laughs> well, I borrowed. You don't want to overrule me, right? That, that's a loser of an answer, right? Uh, I'm, I'm giving half credit on that. I'm okay with it. Half it did credit. make me laugh. All right, yeah. half credit. But how about like a I groom have... with a few something gay? I a don't know. A groom with a few? <laughs> A man who's about to get married that. holding a church seat. What? I don't understand that. Uh, all right. Well, fine. Morris is half credit. I say zero, so we'll average that. You've got 0. 0.25 points. All right. Highbrow or lowbrow? Good. Uh, <laughs> let's try highbrow. Okay. This English, you should get this. This English prime minister. <laughs> My pressure. Unsuccessfully proposed Irish Home Rule in nineteen in eighteen eighty six. And also, as a hint, I gave you this answer at Brendan's podcast the last time I saw you. Is it you? Is it Gladstone? No, what am I talking? It about? is, <laughs> is it William you? Gladstone. It is correct. <laughs> All right. Then for the next one, highbrow or lowbrow. Let's go highbrow so we can end on a low note. Okay. Within five years, you don't have to give me the exact year, but you have to be with five years. Tell us the year Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal was published. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, uh, if it helps, I came up with the wrong century. I also came up with the wrong century. So no one's going to make fun of you. This is the highbrow. I am very surprised you botched the lowbrow. <laughs> Look, you've got 1.25 points. You can do this. Uh, you know what? I'll give you two guesses. I'll give you two guesses, too. Okay. Um, 1730? 1730 is not at all a bad guess. It's a very good guess. 1730? Did you say 1713 or 1730? You said 30. Yeah, 3 0. Oh, then you win. Because you won in one year, it is 1729. Yeah, that was impressive. Fantastic. So now listen. You've got 2.25 points. The 2.5 really isn't going to help you. Even if you wanted to be generous and go with Mara, the 2.5 isn't going to help you. The truth is, you need this last question to win. I have a feeling Okay, here you go. <laughs> the last lowbrow question. You've got 30 seconds to think of it. Okay. Tell us your favorite seemingly offensive but actually inoffensive joke. So like a Jew joke that's not anti-Semitic, oh, black joke that isn't racist, a gay joke that isn't homophobic. 30 seconds to think of it and then as much time as you want to tell it. It's <laughs> really difficult. It's, it's really, really, difficult. really hard. There's no, no yeah, because it's really offensive jokes. I bet you uh, really <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have fumbled with a room with a view. Which, frankly, the longer I think of view of a bumhole, I really I like it. I'm, I'm bu- I want to bump it up. It, you know, it's a room with there. a view of a bumhole. It's, it's, it's got sting power. It's better than a room with a pew. If you're I, that's like Donald Trump and a gay guy. If I you know, came across that and then later I was like, gosh, I want to find that, the I would not have to search long in my head. It, it would be right there. So wait, wait, wait. This, this has to be a joke. worn by a gay man. No, it's, I will not accept it. I'm just sorry to not homophobic gay jokes. <laughs> okay, so this has to be a joke that sounds offensive, but the joke is really on the person telling it. Yeah, it's kind of, I guess it's a joke that sets up something that would be politically incorrect, but even a social justice warrior would have to say, yeah, you didn't do anything wrong. That's totally fine. Can't give you a hard oh. time for that. Yeah, it's a vaguely impossible question. I should come up with this last minute. It's basically, I mean... <laughs> do you have one? Do you have one, like, sitting in the back of your head? Hello? I think, Nick, I think you lost. I think I have Don't worry. Trying, cause there, there is nothing... Because it's almost it's too short a time to both think of it and run it through every mental filter you have to see. I know. It's a tough question. Then if, 
Because the problem it's is, the if I say if I say something and I'm like, oh, yeah, this sounds offensive, but it's totally not, and then I say it, and then there's a horrified silence that everyone says, no, that actually is really. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you what I would have accepted, and people might disagree with this, and I and people people might disagree with that. I won't even give the punchline, but I would personally fight to the death. I'll just give the setup. Folks at home probably know the punchline. I would say the joke about how can you tell if your roommate's gay is in no way homophobic. But I won't give the punchline because I don't trust people. So moving on, maybe you can win game two. You only got 2.25 of the first game. I think I got 2.5. More, more bump me at one. I, right. I did. I defer, I, did. I defer to Mara as my funnier, smarter co-host. But even deferring to Mara, you lose. So let's continue. <laughs> Let's continue the interview. Uh, I think we're we're you know we're right in towards the ends of the Maxim years. We're pre we're pre Time Out New York years and pre Nick Guthrie doing stand up years. And I think uh, Mara, do you have a question? Uh, yeah. What led to all the rest of it? <laughs> That's my very broad question. The rest of my life. The rest of your entire mm-hmm. life, yes, absolutely. No, but you were doing the um, the I don't pranks or dares, I suppose. You said you're still in the UK. What brought you yeah. to the US? Um, my wife, uh, who is American, um, and she she was offered a job in New York, and um, my reasoning was that I'd seen Ghostbusters about fifty times, and you know that was probably what I needed to know about New York. Um, and I was right. Yes, I have some. Um, but you, met, I, you met your wife. I forget, I know this already, but I forget. Uh, we met in London. You met your wife in England. There. Yeah, we got married there, lived there for a while, and then moved to New York a few years later. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I worked, you know, doing freelance for a while, and then without any actual, there was no sort of crossover from Maxim UK to Maxim US. It just I ended up working at Maxim again, sort of coincidentally, um, which was which was great. Um, and again, it's funny because I'd never really read any lad mags or anything growing up. I was never a fan of that kind of magazine, but it was an incredibly fun place to work. Well, you probably weren't a fan of that kind of magazine because you could just go to the local newsstand at 13 and buy porn. <laughs> yeah. Why do you need to actually invest in a magazine when you can look like you're you don't you know, need, you don't need to about the world? But you really let me, uh, so, so you've spent, Nick, you've spent you know, now over, over a decade in internet publishing, yeah. although it's not my full-time job, um, I also have been involved in internet publishing, but I'd much well, rather it was, uh, the in, the internet side of things has been the last five or so years. It was it was purely print that's, for quite a while. That's true. That's true. Um, sorry. Yeah, that's misleading. Um, but I had a question about internet publishing, so let's just ignore the facts of your life <laughs> and just go to the question, which is well, you know, this, I'll make it broader. Answer it how you will. What if you saw if you could describe basically a global trend in publishing, either changes in internet publishing or changes in publishing general, which actually would then encompass probably the change from print to internet. What's the what's the biggest change you've noticed in that field? I think uh, if you're talking professionally, um, it, it's been a double-edged sword for writers. On the one hand, the field has opened up so much more um, to allow more people than ever before to write, which is a wonderful thing. I mean, it means that you don't have to spend your whole time, you know, writing random letters to magazines begging them to give you a job. You know, you can prove yourself as a writer, which is amazing. You can build up a following. You can show, like, I have an audience. I should, you know, which is great. That's a wonderful thing. on the other hand, um, the fact that everybody can write does not mean that everybody should write. <laughs> um, and there are definitely people somehow earning a living as freelancers who I have no idea how they're doing it. Um, I, I, it. It does, like any other field, that suddenly gets swamped with a, with a massive influx of new, of new talent. I, the the art monetarily speaking, it feels like the art of writing has been devalued um, 
substantially. People used to you used to be able to make like a good living being a freelance writer for magazines, and now it's just not the case. There are so many writers um, that there is less work to go around. There are people being paid a lot less than they used to be when it was purely print publication. People get paid a lot less for writing online than they got paid for writing for magazines. Correct. And yeah. it's, um, and, and and it makes it makes me sad because I I, I feel like there are people who are are really 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 good. Um, but they're not necessarily managing to stand out as much as maybe they they would have in a, in a smaller field, and so that that they're not able to make a living off it. Um, and that's sad. There there are people who are who are so good at, it and um, they're just you know like they're getting recognition and they're getting like an endless Twitter following, but they're not actually paying the rent. Right. Right. No, I mean. Uh... You know, I came to internet writing later in life. I had already gotten a degree and a job, and I was married at the time and have kids, which I still do. And um, and I was, I mean, maybe I was, and I was living in New York, which is, you know, not cheap. And uh, for me, the the thought of uh, of working full time for the internet, I mean, I was not able to. I just quite yeah. simply wouldn't. I would have had to change states and. You know, my wife would have had to get a full-time job where she was taking care of kids at the time. Uh, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Even yeah. working for successful websites, um, it just wasn't a possibility with what I was, what I was right. doing at the time. And I know people went in, in like this, you know, even as late as like the the mid-2000s when, when print was still more sort of highly thought of than online, um, there were people who would write like, two or three articles a month and, and they would get by and, you know, they'd be fine with that. And within, within a few years, it was people who were writing literally like 10 pieces a day and just about just making the rent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have friends who do that. I have friends who are full-time uh, freelancers, but they, they are, they're, some of them are, you know, in relationships where they're one of two people earning an income and they're also, they're a friggin' machine. They're a machine pumping out, you know, you know, listicles and and other kinds mm-hmm. of joke content, you know, multiple pieces a day. Um, yeah. But you know, that's I think that's the thing too. With uh, what do you think of this? Well, maybe you disagree, and your opinion counts more than mine. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this, but the internet has come up with ways to present material, right? You know, like the listicle or like a series yeah. of gifts or a series of and because there's this set form, you sort of can get away with being less talented in doing it. I mean, if you had to, like, make an essay, soup to nuts, that's more difficult than, than when you know there's already a list format or a picture's going to go here and you can kind of fill it into a template. Or am I totally wrong? No, I think you're right. And I think there's also, and I think you've, you've actually written this essay before, or listicle even. <laughs> Um, uh, but I, I, I think definitely the fact that the internet has this this series of like running jokes. I think anytime anyone gets stuck with something to say, they just go to one of these, you know, like set punchlines or memes or whatever, and um, you know, it, it just rather than thinking harder and coming up with something that's really good, they'll kind of go to some like internet right. cliche. And and call it a day. Well, you know, to call it play devil's advocate. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mark. No, I hear a lot of people complain about listicles, and I I hear it from not just writers, but also from audiences saying, okay, we don't just want this drivel. But from the publishing perspective, do you actually think that there is an audience for more involved pieces that are deeper and really go into a subject, or are people just kind of... uh, saying it, but they, they're not really going to buy it or they're not really going to gauge. Yeah, I mean, there there are definitely people out there that, that say, you know, we wish we could put out more long-form content, but it, it it's like anything else. I mean, unless unless a company has a really solid base to start with and they're making money through advertising through like the main bulk of their content, they're not going to take a risk on starting to put out long-form essays there's a few places that do it, and there's actually there's a and it's not online, granted, but there's um there's a great uh, British magazine called Delayed Gratification that, um, that I write for occasionally, and their their whole 
mandate is that they don't write about anything until it's been out of the news cycle for at least three months. That's interesting. great because the idea is that you go back and examine it because, you know, once all the hype is gone and the story is blown over, they go back and say, well, what actually happened in the end? Which, which is something that the internet has no time for. That's fascinating. Okay. Is, it still in, is that still in, wait, is that print or web or? It's print. It's a quarterly magazine, which is. Still, is, it still in, is it still in public in existence? Yeah, yeah, they only actually launched um, a few years ago. That's great. No, that sounds fascinating. But, you know, I did, in fairness, I wanted to play devil's advocate because, you know, all the stickles are not the same. And, of course, I've got a dog in this fight since I've been writing for Crack for years. <laughs> but, like, the Crack listicle compared to, like, you know, garbage listicles, like, well, I don't want to name any other ones, but uh, but the are, are not the same. I mean, there are, there are things I've written for Crack and other people have written for Crack, which are essentially a full-blown, legit, essay, but just yeah. presented in list form, which just allows maybe an, a reader who would be otherwise intimidated to digest the same content a little bit more readily. Exactly. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with the idea of a listicle per se. I mean, Time Out, like some of our most popular online pieces at Time Out have been fun listicles that people in the city can relate to. You get either, you know, especially like whether they're like lifelong New Yorkers or they're new to the city, there's just something about it. There's something pleasing about reading something that's, that you can relate to and it speaks to you. And it's just like, if it's like five, ten minutes out of your day to read something funny, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I like them. Right. As you, as you say, there are so many crap ones out there. Right. I mean, there are things out there which are just like ridiculous. It's like I saw a list the other day. It was like, it was like ten actors who will never uh, 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 star in a movie again, and I I, I clicked it because you know well, that's clickbait. You're gonna you're gonna give in, and I thought it was gonna tell yeah. me about like you know so and so actor uh, is known to like you know molest all the stagehands so they won't hire him, but it was just like right. this actor hasn't made a successful film in three years. I'm like oh, like half the entries were that. Like we all know that. <laughs> Do you have I mean, what, like in your head which uh, which clickbaits you're like most embarrassed that you did in fact click on, but you still feel kind of the lingering guilt and dirtiness of having done that? Like, my I, my I, reaction to that kind of clickbait is really that I'm angry that like it was such a good clickbait headline and the result was so disappointing because I thought if, right. if you got a good writer to write that that could have been right. a really, really great piece. And instead, you've got a great headline and then just crap attached to it. Exactly. Exactly. I, it, I'll answer Mara's question. The one that I clicked on so many times and I always feel terrible and then I always get infuriated and then I always say, what's wrong with the world? And then I say, people like me are what's wrong with the world because I clicked on it are the ones about actors who age terribly. I always click <laughs> it and I always hate myself and it always pisses me off, especially when it's like Brigitte Bardot. She's fucking 80. Leave her alone. <laughs> What's the supposed to look like? Right. Um, yeah, so, anything yeah, to do well, with, like, plastic surgery nightmares or right, like, Photoshop okay. disasters. You know, you just you have to feel bad after that. Those like, always get me, cool. although I have decided that I will no longer, like, I've, I've made a hard stand because anything where it's, like, pictures and you're seeing people age or you're seeing how they look different or whatever, that it just, that it's inherently appealing, but I, I have like to feel better about myself. I will no longer click on anything that is like, look at these child stars all grown up because that has this like really creepy overlay of the, like we were waiting until they turned 18 clock and suddenly let's look at this chick who, you know, is just barely still a Disney star, like in a bikini. And it just, that those now just make me so, uncomfortable and miserable i absolutely <laughs> the celebrity magazine as well that will round up like 10 pictures of stars who get sweaty armpits with like red circles around it. and you're like these are human beings <laughs> like of course they get sweaty armpits that's what humans do i actually did a version of that at maxim where it was like um it was like a historical uh celebrity magazine feature so we we took a bunch of pictures from like renaissance paintings and like circled like all the warts and, and hairs and things out. Oh, I remember that. Was on, yeah, <laughs> very big, big hairs. That was hairs. very funny. 
big headlines of things uh, like Zounds. <laughs> so before before we go to our second and last game, um, which is Mars game, um, well, we came up with it together. But um, there is one question I wanted to ask, which is, and maybe we've already discussed it, is there one trend or one thing in Internet publishing or any publishing right now that you find maddening? That you're like, I'll do this, I'll do this. We all have to find an audience. We're all, we're all earning a living. But no, I won't do that. That just crosses a line in the sand. You're talking to someone who got liposuction to write a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but see, that's just, uh, that, that's, that was you personally. I mean, you know, you did yeah. something. You didn't, uh, you know, you didn't Photoshop, you know, what would these child stars look like if their heads were Photoshopped onto adult naked bodies? That would be, you probably wouldn't do right, that. Right, right. Probably. I probably would not do that. Um, All right, I, so the answer is nothing. There's nothing that pisses you off. Which brings I mean, to... where do you start <laughs> <laughs> after that? Well, I know you have a lot of integrity, and I know that you don't like uh, cheap humor. Um, and I know that unlike me who dabbles, you you live this every single day. You're, you're uh, you know, you may be earning a living, and it may be driving viewers and content, but it's still all words and, and writing, and that's still yeah. art, and you're still doing it every day. So I, I imagine there's something where you're just like, no, that's a shorthand I refuse to do. Here, let me do an easy one. Seven years ago, six years ago, all over the Internet, there were the strikeout jokes where you would, you would say what the person really was, and then you would, like, right. cross it out. and then say, So you'd be like, Mitt Romney... Uh, a uh, millionaire douchebag crossed out Republican right, candidate. Right, right, right. And, like, I did that, like, once years ago. And then I said, oh, my God, I see this everywhere. I will not do that. I will never do that. But it took about another five years before the Internet stopped doing it. I think, do you know what? There's a thing that I I think is, and it, it's like the BuzzFeed model, but I think the thing that I'm finally sick of is just answering everything with a, with a GIF. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, people will reply to an email with just, like, instead of saying, like, thanks, or send you, like, a GIF or sort of, like, someone from Parks and Rec going, yay, thank you. And I think that was dead for me when, oh, God, I wish I could remember what it was. It was, um, I think it was, like, some Republican website's newsletter that had yeah. summed up, like... Oh, I know you're talking really, about, yeah. Yeah, the 10 reasons that something something didn't make any sense. It may have been, it may have been the Democrats, actually, I'm right. not sure which party it was. But it summed up, like, 10 reasons why the other party's news statement was stupid. And it was all summed up with, like, gifts of, like, Taylor Swift. And, and I was just like, this is dead. This is dead. <laughs> like, it has to be. This has got six Yeah, that months, was on so. a .gov website. I mean, that was right. really the, the, the bottom of the bottom. Yeah, that right. was really bad. Yeah, I remember and, that. Uh, and I mean, and I, that that's that's had a good run, and I've enjoyed a lot of it, yeah. and I've written a lot of them, but um, that felt like the beginning of the end. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was the end. The end of yeah, the end of the we end. Got on ten that. minutes left. All right, we're gonna do a, a uh, our game here. This game is called Stick Stone or Story. I don't know if you put this all together because I mean Gladstone that's very straightforward but my last name is Tawastik so it's stick or stone Um, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read off three stories three related stories and once I've read them all it's up to you to decide which one happened to me stick which one happened to Wayne stone and which one happened to someone entirely unrelated and is a completely separate story. You ready? Is, is the, is the last one fabricated, or did it happen to somebody? It is not fabricated. It did, in fact, happen yeah. to somebody. And if you were to get it right, you would have the uh, opportunity to have bonus points if you could name who it happened to. Yeah, can I say one <laughs> okay. thing before, you, before we play? In, in my, when we were working out this game, in, in my version of it, it was fabricated. But because Mara is just, so much more earnest and arduous and smarter than I am. She's like, I think it'd be really cool if I found something that was like related that was true that applied to somebody else. So I took the easy way out. Mara made it a better game. So let's play Stick, Stone, or Story. All right. 
the first, uh, we'll go with one. While walking around barefoot, this individual severed a tendon when they stepped on a common sort of object that can be naturally found lying around the floor of most homes, a food processor blade. That's story one. Story two, this individual was staying in a hotel room when they were awakened to someone entering their room in the middle of the night. The intruder grabbed some valuables and ran. And as this person leapt to chase them down the hall, instead they fell in a heap on the floor, having suddenly ruptured their Achilles tendon. That's number two. And story three. Hmm? Yeah, it's really, these are very unpleasant stories. Story three. When a tumbleweed rolled in front of this person's car at an intersection, this individual got very angry and decided the best way to get the tumbleweed out of the way was to kick it. It turns out tumbleweeds are made of thorny brambles, and this person ended up with a leg and foot that was a bloody mess, while the tumbleweed remained unmoved, stuck to the car. Now so, yeah. is your chance to choose which of the three stories. These are all foot injuries. They're all foot That's injuries. They're related. They're three related stories. Yep. Yep. Uh, okay. <laughs> so we've got a um, food processor blade, ruptured mm-hmm. Achilles heel with an intruder. And bloody foot from kicking a tumbleweed. What's frustrating is I've I've heard the tumble I've heard the tumbleweed one before and I can't remember who it is. Good, good start, Um, good start. A room with a view of gay guys. Maybe is that your answer? (laughs) That's that was not my that was not my title. Um, I'm gonna go one stick, two stone, three somebody else. That's too complicated. You got literally nothing right. I don't even know. I don't even know. Put put the thing next to the person. So you went with the food processor blade being me, which would make sense, which is what I liked about that story, because I am the one who uses a food processor on a daily basis. But no, that was Wayne that stepped on a food processor. Really? Yeah. 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 I did. I was uh, oh well that's the fun part of this game then we then we tell you the little story um, it was just before my son was born uh, we had a second bedroom all the crap we didn't use from from the crappy presents from the wedding we had piled into the spare bedroom one of them was a food processor had all the crap piled against one side one weekend I painted one side of it and then the next weekend I woke up and I was slowly moving things to the other side of the room to finish painting the baby's room and apparently in doing that. I kicked the food processor. The blade came dislodged, kind of like an S-shaped blade, like it's like a boat rudder. Yeah. And then I picked up the 100 to 200-pound crib to move that from the wall, turned around, oh. and moved the extra 100 to 200 pounds, stepped directly on the food processor blade, severing the tendon to one of my toes. I had to be surgically reattached. That's my story. So you, you guessed that number Awful. two, the hotel room, was Wayne, which it's not. We'll come back to that. Uh, Number three, the tumbleweed, which you thought was the, the made-up or the, the other person's story, that is the one that happened to me. I am the one who uh, not see, I aware knew, of I knew I heard that was. the night we did the, uh, the the Google Hangout for Wayne's book. I could, I oh, yeah. it Brian. oh, is that where we heard it? I knew I heard it before, too, but I guess that's where it was. I yeah. don't ever wait, remember wait, telling wait, you. Wait, 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 wait. Wayne's book? But now, wait, that's notes from the Internet Apocalypse or the forthcoming novel? <laughs> Agents of the Internet Apocalypse. It really doesn't matter, Nick, because both are available at www.internet-apocalypse.com. Thank you for bringing that up. Go ahead, <laughs> So, yes, yes, the tumbleweed was, in fact, me. I was in Las Vegas, and a giant ball of tumbleweed came in front of the car, and, yeah, uh, I kicked it while wearing a sh- uh, skirt and had to be rushed to the nearest uh, casino <laughs> where they had where I walked in like a bloodied right. and uh, and they were not confused at all by having a girl walk in completely bloodied. Um, they were just Is that like, what oh, happens in, in Vegas? Like you get horribly injured and like you try and call an ambulance and instead they take you to a casino? It was just a thing. <laughs> like my, I was there with my friend. Like, that was, that was, like, across my wife's giving birth. Here, let me take you to a blackjack table. <laughs> Probably. Isn't that how they just, uh, the, I don't know if you heard the story about the, the woman who, gave birth in the woods. This just happened like a couple of days ago, but it was because she was at a casino trying to induce labor and then like tried to take a shortcut home through the woods and her car got stuck and then she ended up giving birth and then she had to live in the woods for a couple of days like and keep the baby alive while she made a fire to get... Anyway, yeah. So apparently, <laughs> apparently all that goes together. Look at us, guys. This all just happened. I mean, come on. 
be on top of this stuff. What, and what is the hotel story? Where'd you find so that? Number two. So any guesses on uh, who that might be? This is a celebrity individual. Brendan Brenda uh, McGinley? It is not Brendan McGinley, although that is an excellent, excellent guess. And, and it was uh, Brendan's name was brought up in the chat room as well. No, the individual who uh, had his room broken into at 2.30 in the morning and went to chase him down but collapsed because his Achilles tendon uh, ripped was Alex Trebek. <laughs> Trebek? Who is yes. Alex Trebek? Yes. Who is um, Alex Trebek? So, so, uh, I think people I never would have even thought about guessing the name of for 100. So, um, <laughs> we have a few minutes left. I'm sorry, you know, I wanted to get to this to stand up, you know, Nick and I not not well, me definitely not, but Nick more so. Um not experts, but Nick and I started doing stand up around the same time definitely more than I. And uh you know, as part of Time Out New York, you uh put together comedy showcases at uh Caroline's, right? Yeah, we have a the Time Out New York comedy showcase is the last Wednesday of every month at Caroline's. Um it's a it's a fun show. We we started with uh, we ran two back to back shows at the New York Comedy Festival last year. That was the it was the Women of Comedy shows that we did. It was all female comedians. Uh, we did that at La Poisson Rouge, and they both sold out. So we thought we'd try and do it every month. Um, so there's there's no theme to the monthly one beyond it just being a, a great stand up show. We've had people like Keith Robinson. We've had Judah Friedlander, Jim Norton, uh, Gary Goldman. Ted Alexandro, um, Michelle Wolf, Bonnie McFarlane, and really good people on it. Um, and the next one is July 29th, which we're very excited about. Um, we have Mr. Gilbert Gottfried headlining, nice. which uh, is amazing. Um, I saw him last time he was at Caroline's, and he's just just absurdly funny. And he, he, is, I, he is insanely funny. And, and the thing about Gilbert Gottfried is, if you try to tell, like, a Gilbert Godfrey joke, like, if you try to repeat his act, it's not going to work. You, like, at best, you have to, like, do his whole shtick and voice, and then it'll half work. But there's just something it, completely indescribable about Gilbert Godfrey that just transcends, right? I have been driven out of my mind. This was months ago. I think it was, I think it was November. It was. It was around Thanksgiving last year when I saw him, and he did this bit. You know when like you and your best friend like start laughing about something and you can't stop laughing. Right. You try and tell you try and tell someone else about it, and it's not funny. Right. Exactly. He has, he, he has a bit that is a version of that, but it's a made up thing about him and the Pope making a sandwich and both of them finding the word wheat funny and they keep going wheat and then laughing hysterically. And this bit goes on for about ten minutes and has no punchline. It's just him and the Pope laughing at the word wheat and. It may be the hardest I've ever laughed in my life. It has been driving me crazy trying to work out why it was funny. I, I totally, I totally believe that. But so I will be at that show. Everyone else should come to that show, July 29th at Caroline's uh, in New York City. Gilbert Gottfried hosting Nick. Um, I really want to thank you for being the uh, first guest uh, on our show. We're we're still working things out. We're learning how to do this. We have a theme song, but I can't get it to play without distortion. <laughs> Um, um, I, I want thank you. I really you appreciate much. it. And also, though, I want to thank, you know, Mar and I had talked vaguely about this for a while, but then we just decided to do it on a whim uh, about a week ago. And, uh, you know, there's already over 300 followers uh, on Facebook. People are already excited about it. We're very grateful to everyone who tuned in tonight. We're, we're going to learn to do it better. Um, but I think tonight went okay. I just wanted to thank everyone for tuning in, and I wanted to thank uh, uh, you, Nick, for, for being our first guest. Uh, we really appreciate it. Well, I want to thank you for having me on, and I want oh. to apologize for Googling the published date of a modest proposal. 100%. Oh, I was going to call you out on it, and then I was just like, you know what? I'm going to let him have this because he needs it because it's the horrible failure of the lowbrow section. Let's back up. So you Googled it and then went off by one year just to like... He's very, very crafty. Very crafty. Um, God, I didn't think about that. I did. Obviously, Nick needed it. I mean... You know, something had to make up for that horrible life that he had, and this is it. This is his win. 
<laughs> it didn't even occur to me that you were a deceitful, duplicitous what? But I don't know why. Having met you, you've known me long enough. So you really got one point five out of yeah. four, <laughs> and you fucked six stones of story. You're the worst. You know, <laughs> You know, if it weren't for the art of writing jokes, you'd be working in a factory counting radiators right now. <laughs> but you know what? I'd, I'd be at a really high number by now. I'd probably feel quite accomplished. <laughs> thank you very much, and, and, and thank you, everyone, who tuned in. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, actually, we, we haven't figured out next week's guest. That's a little up in the air. But in the future, we have a writer for The Colbert Show. We have a uh, musical That's guest. That's next week. A visual... <laughs> oh, Frank is next week? Sorry. Yeah. Next week we have Frank Lesser, who uh, wrote Sad Monsters, who wrote for eight years for Stephen Colbert and the Colbert Report, and has written numerous uh, uh, magazine publications. So please tune in for that. We all good? All good. Thank you, everyone. Good. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs>